0: (coughs) Udham Dhammang Sangha Namah Recently we had the good fortune to host quite a large number of Sangha members from our various monasteries around Europe. It was the occasion of our Katina festival here also combined with a series of meetings of what we call the elders council which is the abbots of the various monasteries and also elected other representatives of those communities we meet uh, twice a year and uh, talk business. So. This business, things that inevitably in community life need to be dealt with and on this occasion it was although business is not as much fun as as festivals, it still was very harmonious and very rewarding having a chance to meet up again with various uh, community members some of whom I haven't seen for a good number of years Though the whole COVID thing meant that a lot of our meetings happened on Zoom and so meeting face to face again and reacquainting ourselves, our old friends and new friends and meeting some new monks and nuns who haven't met before was a, a great delight also and what I'd like to consider this evening is that inevitably when we have these gatherings sadly there seem to be a number of people who I still after even many years of living the monastic life and training in, in this way still appear to be carrying around a huge burden of suffering and, and I say sadly because it is. it is it's sad to see that even after years of keeping precepts and meditation and living in communities with wholesome minded people that they don't seem to be reaping the rewards and, and it's puzzling and it's sad and I don't raise this, I don't want to be in any way uh, critical of individuals um, and, or rejecting. However, I do think the question is worth asking, what's going on when so much good effort is being made and not just within the monastic community but also amongst lay practitioners people are sometimes very committed to going on retreats and keeping precepts and still a lot are carrying around after a good number of years terrible burdens of suffering. Mm -hmm. So I was left after this gathering thinking what's going on here and and had some conversations with various people and I was left with once again because this topic is not new to me i was left with the impression that these people are still carrying around with them a big burden of old pain this is this is not because despite if you listen to their compulsive criticisms and expressions of cynicism which is always very regrettable it's despite their criticism It's not really the communities that they're living in or the people they're living with uh, or the lack of support. All of them are very well supported. Rather it's this burden of old, unmet, unacknowledged, or what I've been referring to as denied Dukkha backlog, DDB, denied Dukkha backlog, and, uh, and I've spoken about it several times recently and on this occasion it really seemed very evident that this is pain that... All of us, and we all have this when we start out on this journey, a backlog of denied dukkha that if we're not really picking up the Buddha's teachings skillfully, in fact we can just keep up the habit of denying dukkha and the accumulation of old pain gets worse and gets more burdensome. And similar to, for instance, if if you well, the question that occurs to me anyway is it's like if you you go to see a doctor with a particular condition and an ailment, and the doctor prescribes the medicine and and then you take the medicine for a period of weeks period of months and probably not much longer if if it 's not working, you go back to see the doctor again and say, "Well, this medicine's not working and and I think it's really is the same with this path of practice that the way we pick up the Buddha's teachings we need to keep checking so is it working are we picking it up on the right way and maybe some of you are familiar with that story in the scriptures of where the Buddha's attendant was convinced that it was time for him to go off and do solitary practice and the Buddha wasn't convinced and said no I don't agree you stay here and, and so. He was, as I said, the Buddha's attendant, and and so he stayed back in the monastery doing his duties as the attendant. And then, the second time, he asked the Buddha, said, "Oh, I think I'm ready to go off and do solitary practice, and probably he wanted to be one of those cool monks who does the real thing, you know, go and be alone in the forest and really crack the jhanas and have the deep insights." And and the Buddha said, "No, no, you're not ready, and um, you stay here." And, then as happens, and, and when he asked a third time, the Buddha said, okay, off you go, and let him go. And it wasn't very long before this fellow came back in a terrible state. Thank goodness he did come back because he'd been assailed by all sorts of intense negativity that he couldn't handle and the Buddha gave him teachings to help him out. And, if he'd been too stubborn and too arrogant, he might have kept pushing and cut himself into big trouble. And I have seen it myself that uh, sometimes monks think solitary practice—that's the thing—off they go and and they get themselves into a right pickle, and it's uh, very regrettable. So the the way we pick up the teachings, the aspect of the teachings that we apply, it matters. Is it the right approach that we're taking? If it is the right approach, well then. I think it's fair enough to assume that we're going to be receiving the benefits. Now, it may well be, I hasten to add, that in the case of some of these individuals who, even after years of practicing, are still struggling, it may well be they're doing exactly the right thing. Maybe it's patient endurance that's called for, just bearing with, burning through the backlog. Maybe that's what they're doing, and maybe that's the right thing. However, it may also be that they haven't asked the question, they don't feel allowed to ask the question am I applying myself to the right aspects of the teachings? like you can be applying yourself to the theoretical teachings of the Buddha and becoming an expert on the Paryati level of practice and be able to explain the Buddha's teachings impressively and and not actually be in touch with deeper levels of relevance may be able to explain about the Four Noble Truths and not really be in touch with Dukkha and investigating the cause of Dukkha. So many times I've quoted the Buddha as saying that there's two reasons why you stay lost in samsara, lost in the world of indulging and denying. One is not knowing dukkha, that's suffering, not knowing suffering. And two is not knowing the causes of suffering, not knowing the causes of dukkha. Not knowing dukkha, not knowing the causes of dukkha, it's these two reasons that, that we stay stuck in samsara. And, and so the encouragement is to, to train ourselves to really, literally reconfigure our views, our thinking. So that instead of seeing the experience of suffering as some sort of a sign of failure, that we get interested in it. This is data ready to be processed. Are we receiving it? Are we really receiving the data? I know in my own life, I, for many years I was or well, the image that I've mentioned before is like I was like a blind man wearing gloves trying to read Braille. To get the information, to read the braille, to read those little dents on the card, you need sensitivity. You're wearing gloves. You're not going to feel what you need to feel. And so it is, if we're not picking up this practice in the right way, we're not meeting ourselves on the feeling level. We're not really investigating dukkha. We're investigating our ideas of dukkha. We can have all sorts of ideas about why we suffer and where the suffering came from and how good it would be to get free from, from the suffering. Are we really able to apply attention where, when and how it's needed to connect with the raw data, the raw feeling, the ouch of life, the ouch, you know? Recently a good Dhamma friend of mine went through a, a very difficult period of intense illness and in fact he's still in recovery. And What was so inspiring listening to this, this fellow describe the experience, he was talking about it as the, as the heavenly messengers. Now we've all heard or read how the Buddha described old age, sickness and death as heavenly messengers. However when we are really assailed by negativity, by our inability to feel equanimous when we've got a cold or you know, in this case in ICU and uh, in intensive care and, and, and really struggling, when we find ourselves assailed by negativity, do we have the capacity of heart not just of mind, not just to think about it, but do we have the capacity and the feeling center to really feel what we feel when we're feeling challenged? Can we meet ourselves there? And it was my impression listening to this, this fellow talking about his illness, the, the sincere gratitude that he was, he was sincerely grateful Said the right lesson at the right time, what he'd been learning through this period. To be able to get the message we have to be practicing in a way whereby we're not just thinking about Dhamma or trying to overcome our limitations that's another mistaken approach. We can be trying to get rid of our nirvanas, get rid of our hindrances, get rid of our anger. Anger is one of the hindrances and it's obstructing my meditation so I want to get rid of my anger. Well The Buddha had a lot to say about vibhava tanha, that's the craving to get rid of something. That's not the same thing as skillfully, mindfully, sensitively, humbly meeting ourselves in our anger and really feeling what's happening in our hearts. What is that heat, that fire, that agitation, that rage even? Can we really connect with the actual experience? of anger and see that we have a choice in how we relate to it. See that clinging to that impression makes it worse. That impression, that impact, that heat, that fire makes it worse. And maybe discovering that actually you have a choice to step back from it. Not step back and go up into your head and then think about why you're feeling so angry. Rather, to stay there, present in the body, in the heart, in the center of the chest, feeling the rage, feeling the fire, and expand. Taking a deep breath, for instance, taking a deep breath and expand the chest cavity with the suggestion of expanding awareness to feel angry, feel fully angry. Or if you feel offended by something somebody said, feel fully offended. We could spend our whole life complaining about people offending us or making us angry. Or we could turn our attention inwards and stop blaming the world and actually feel our relationship to the feeling of being offended and expand awareness to feel it fully, to feel it more accurately. That takes a different approach to practice. We can't just be understanding the theory of Dhamma or takes, I would suggest, a daring attitude you know, to come down out of our heads and the initial security and confidence that we felt when we came across the Buddha's teachings or maybe the initial good feeling when we went on our first meditation retreat and with our attitude of starting out in something new, we enthusiasm, we had some good, interesting experiences. That's a memory now because now what we've got to deal with is just feeling sad or feeling offended or feeling angry or feeling full of doubt. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that we're feeling, we need to have the agility and I would suggest the daring spirit to let go of that initial level of security and confidence and go into the unknown and dare to feel what we're feeling where and when we feel it in the heart. Now. It can be frightening, of course, because, as I was saying, there's backlog of denied dukkha. There's a, there's a lot of momentum in that, and so if we try to do this, if this this argument makes sense, then we apply ourselves to it, and then we encounter um, this backlog. I can remember myself, this is like years ago, early days of chitters where I I forget exactly how Ajahn Sumedho was teaching at the time, but something along the lines of just being honest with where we're at. And, and I remember at the time where I was at, was really feeling annoyed with this one other monk. And I was out in the car park of Chittus Monastery, walking up and down, walking meditation, feeling angry. But I was not ready to feel what I was feeling. And I was being taken over by it and feeling very threatened by it. So approaching practice in this way, we can't afford to be naive about it. We need to be properly prepared and to have hopefully good companions, skilful, wise teachers around who we can consult on these matters. However, we do need to come to that point if we want to let go of the burden of pain of what's happened to us in life and be present for what's happening now then we need to be daring enough and brave enough to come into our hearts, into our sensitivity and meet ourselves there. Even when we're feeling really challenged, as this fellow who was in ICU twice and all the rest was going on. Very challenged. So once again, raising this concern, not because we want to reject anybody or anybody's sincere efforts in practice, however, to ask the very relevant question, are we feeling more free to be honest with ourselves where we're at? In my own retreat time recently, I had an interesting and very helpful experience in this area and. I just had a month of private time and and something, I noticed something shift or maybe it shifted some time ago, I hadn't noticed it. As long as I can remember, I've always had this dislike for, serious dislike, for washing dishes. I don't like washing dishes. In fact, I'd go as far as say I loathe washing dishes. I have done. And in the privacy of my kuti, sometimes it was the case I'd go to bed at night and I'd leave a whole bunch of dirty cups sitting in a a bowl of water in my kitchen. And even if I did wash them, I would nearly always just leave them sitting there drying. Something shifted, and I found that um, I can wash the dishes. That's not a problem. Now, it doesn't sound like a very big thing, but something shifted, and I didn't have to force it. Now Presumably, when previously I was making myself wash the dishes, I could have forced myself to get over whatever this feeling I have. and In other words, force the feeling into unawareness, pushing down to my stomach and make myself do the dishes. And Yes, I'm a good monk because I'm being clean and tidy and so on. And so on. However, I'm not a great fan of ever using force. It's, it's to be avoided. Yes, sometimes, of course, sometimes being assertive is called for. However, force is another level. It's like if you're doing qigong exercises and you're learning to do the exercise of standing in mabu and, and it takes a particular strength in your legs to be able to do this exercise and if you're greedy because you've heard about the potential benefits of standing in mabu and so you make yourself do it longer and longer before you're really ready to do it, you can hurt yourself. The more skillful way to approach it is to gently, gradually over time acknowledging your limitations and gradually build up strength and competence. And so in this case where I'm so happy to discover that I wash the dishes. I don't only wash the dishes, I dry them, put them away, clean up the bench, wipe it down and then in the morning when I come in and open the door, there it is, nice spick and span. It feels great. And I would say I don't know exactly what shifted. I do. I can say that I remember it's often occurred to me over the years when I've been washing the dishes and feeling grumpy about washing the dishes. I've had this impression in my mind of being a, a young boy standing at the kitchen sink in our house in 16 Studham Street, where I grew up for the first something like 15 years of my life, and something like that, and having been very unhappy about it. Now I don't know what went on. I'm assuming that something happened at some stage that got locked into my system and it never surfaced until somehow, at least the pain surfaced, it wasn't some great big memory, it wasn't like my, my brother beat me up and hit me over the head with a bowl or something. And The energy of dislike, whatever it was, had been met, I would suggest. Because of my confidence in practicing this, right? Meeting yourself, feeling what you feel, where and when you feel it. In other words, feeling the dislike. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. Can we really meet that? Not trying to get over it. I should not want to be here. I should not want to do this. I should want to be a good monk. I should do it. All this carry on. And that compulsively judging ourselves is very hurtful and keeps us divided, it's very painful. The alternative of developing open-hearted awareness, daring to allow the native sensitivity of the heart and then feel what we feel, that's something else. Allowing the heart to dissolve dukkha, dissolve the suffering of life and learn in the process. Sharing this story, maybe you're thinking, well, this monk doesn't seem to have gotten very far in his practice. If after 40 going on 50 years, all he's learned how to do is appreciate washing dishes. I can say that after 40 going on 50 years, I feel really good about that. That's a, that feels like a very good result to practice. It feels like it's going in a good direction. I'm not disappointed about that at all. There was a similar moment also where somebody rang me up, or I rang them, I forget how it went anyway. This person on the other end of the phone really let rip with a a passionate amount of rage or anger, I mean really heavy, into my ear. Uh, And that was unpleasant. What was not unpleasant, what was very agreeable, was that I didn't seem disturbed by it. And I know in the past such things have happened, I probably would have reacted and I just hung up on the guy or having some seriously critical thoughts about him and, or maybe would have told him straight or at the very least and there would have been an energetic contraction in my guts. There would have been this oh resistance to that pain. You know, The pain was obvious and, and rather than meeting it I would have resisted it. I, I'm familiar with that one. Over the years, and people get angry at me. There's terrible contraction in my guts. And this time, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something along the lines of, "Oh, I can hear you're you're really upset. Can we talk about this? And do you want to talk about it? I I see there's something going on for you. And that is different. And once again, I would say I I ascribe that shift in my relationship to anger, a very welcome shift in my relationship to anger, to the practice of a willing meeting myself, feeling feelings where I feel them at the time I feel them. And this is a particular sort of discipline. So getting back to the original question of what's happening with these people who still after many years of practice seem to be carrying a terrible burden of suffering around with them maybe it hasn't occurred to them that they can dare to reclaim their sensitivity. It's very normal early on in life to avoid dukkha particularly because of affluence. Because of affluence we basically have all sorts of ways of distracting ourselves, entertainment compare ourselves with it, for instance, with people living in India 2,600 years ago. They certainly didn't have refrigerators and. You know, and delivery services to bring them all sorts of treats and goodies or opportunities for holidays and we learned at a very early stage of life to avoid difficulties and our nervous system is wired differently and what's called for is a willing reconfiguration of our approach to Dukkha so we get interested in it and in the process hopefully learn to relate in an organic, I'm trying to find the right word, in a genuine way with our experiences of limitation. Of course we all want to overcome limitation. We don't know where the limitations come from. We can speculate about our astrological configuration or or our past lives, or our early life, and things happen to us. Things happen to all of us. All of us carry with us a backlog of unmet dukkha. And, and again, it doesn't have to be because some big terrible thing happened, it could be small incremental moments of denied life. You know, like sometimes children grow up, for instance, the parents just don't pay attention to them. That hurts. It's not just food that children need to grow up. It's not just vitamin B12 that they need for their nervous system. Children also need attention. I'm sure there's plenty of relevant literature out there where scientists have studied this thing and could explain exactly what happens when children grow up without the right kind of attention at the right time. They they develop difficulties in negotiating their relationship with their own emotions. um, Or somebody was telling me how he grew up with parents who paid almost no attention to him at all. They were just so busy developing their business, they were interested in each other. They weren't interested in the fact that they had a kid. They gave him lots of presents, but they didn't give him attention. They didn't even teach him how to clean his teeth. He told me how he actually had to learn how to clean his teeth on his own. This is human beings do to each other. So it doesn't have to be the case that something really awful has happened to us for us to be accumulating a backlog of denied pain. I would suggest, though, that if we feel we're obstructed in being able to read our own hearts and to be able to see where, when, and how we are still clinging to suffering, where, when, and how we're refusing to feel what we feel, then to have the subtlety of attention to allow for this possibility. Maybe this is what's going on. Maybe it's a backlog. Maybe it's nothing to do with the people I'm living with. Maybe it's nothing to do with the troubles in the outer world that are upsetting me. Of course these things upset me, and of course the people I live with can upset me. However, maybe there's something else also, this old unacknowledged pain that we brought with us. And with this, even this much willingness, the tangle starts to undo itself, and the heart starts to open, and the willingness, the willing receptivity, not being afraid of being hurt, Like for instance, if in a a group situation you say something you think is going to be funny and then you end up looking like an idiot. (laughs) Can we feel ouch without collapsing around it, hunching our shoulders and covering our chests and refusing to feel what we feel? Can we sit there, not pushing back our shoulders, that's another way of denying feeling shoulders relaxed but heart wide open, heart wide open, take a deep breath. and. Suggest to the heart, to the mind, create space, allow to feel what we feel, and little by little, not being in a hurry, and so it's tempting to again, once again, to try to overcome our limitations and our difficulties. This can take years. Here I am. This is, in fact, I was reflecting recently that. I think it's this month, or around this time of year, November, December, exactly 50 years ago, that I did my first meditation retreat. A very confused 22-year-old in a place called Nimbin, which is Australia's Woodstock. And it was the best thing I ever did at that stage of my life. Really showed me there's another way of relating to the heart, relating to the mind. And so 50 years later, I keep growing in enormous gratitude for having come across this teaching. Thank you very much this evening for your attention.